0: Welcome to Theology for the People. This is the second episode of the second season of this podcast. Thanks for tuning in. In this episode... I talk with Dr. Roy Collins about some topics related to pastoring and church leadership. Now, there might be some of you listening who say, okay, well, then this episode is not for me because I'm not a pastor. I'm not involved in uh, church leadership. But as you'll see in this episode, if you stay tuned, Roy actually has some things to say about the responsibility of Christians in general towards clergy and, and why it's important and and the kind of specific needs and difficulties that pastors face, but also you know some of the things that pastors need to do in order to study to show themselves approved, as Paul says to Timothy. So I hope you'll enjoy this episode. Now, one of the things that we're going to talk about is a training initiative that I'm involved in. I'm on the leadership of this group called the Expositors Collective, which is a group of pastors and leaders and lay people collaboratively working together to do what we can to raise up the next generation of Christ-centered Bible teachers and preachers. So if that's you, if you have a desire to grow, let's say even just in your private study of God's word, but maybe beyond that in your public proclamation, maybe you're teaching kids or youth, maybe you're teaching in some capacity in the church, maybe you're a home group leader, or even you just want to grow in your ability to, like Paul said to Timothy, rightly divide the word of God, then I want to encourage you and invite you to come to our next training event, which is taking place in person and online on February 18th and 19th, 2020. It's taking place in person in Costa Mesa, California. It's really easy to get there. If you are flying in, Um, you can fly into LAX or Orange County. But if you're not able to join in person, then you are also welcome to join us online. You can find out more information about it at expositorscollective.com. you also hear Roy and I, we're going to talk about another training initiative I helped in this past year to design and we are launching it soon, and that is called Cultivate, which is a program specifically designed for church planters and missionaries, or at least those who desire to be those things or would like to be trained in those things. So if that's something you're interested in, then I'm going to tell you to stay tuned to this podcast because in a few episodes from now, I'm going to be posting an episode that I recorded for another podcast with Kellen Criswell, and we talk about that program in detail. So we're going to simulcast, if you will, or repost that episode on this podcast as well. So if you're interested in that, stay tuned, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. Now here's the discussion I had with Dr. Roy Collins. Welcome to Theology for the People. This is a podcast where we bring you discussions about theological topics. And my heart is and my goal is that you would see through this that theology is not something very abstract and distant from our lives, but it's something that's very much a practical thing that has practical implications for how we live and how we do things. And so we want to bring theological concepts to you in a way that makes sense in a way that makes them accessible. And so I'm excited today to bring you a recurring guest. I hope that that we can say recurring. This is a returning at this point, but I'm going to just go out in faith and say recurring. Uh, It's Dr. Roy Collins. Hi, Roy.
1: Good afternoon, Pastor Nick. Glad to be with you again.
0: It's great to have you. And Roy, just so you know, and maybe our listeners who, if anybody didn't hear the first episode we did together, we did that on biblical interpretation. And that was one of our, our most popular episodes on the podcast. People really loved your takeaways. And I personally got a lot out of one thing you said, and I don't know if you meant it to be a profound statement or not, but it was something that I had uh, said, wow, that that's something that's articulated so well that it's helpful. And um, it was this, you said, the Bible is a book about Jesus. And that statement is very, very, might seem obvious, but it's very profound. It, it becomes a lens through which we see the Bible. And I just love that statement. So thank you for that. And thanks for coming back. And in that episode, so for anybody who listened to it, there was a statement that I made based on a discussion we had where you had been talking about your past experience as a pastor. And, um, you had said that you had a hard time as a pastor. And I said, wow, it sounds like there's some stories there that we could dig into and we'll do that in a later episode. So guess what? This is that later episode. Here we are. And so I'm, I i can not wait to hear about this. I've got my own stories. I'm sure anybody who's been in ministry has stories of their experience but I think that you go beyond just stories to saying, "Okay, here's what we should do about that." And I'm excited to discuss that. So, Roy, would you please, just for the sake of anybody who isn't familiar with you and your background, maybe just give us a, a brief synopsis on your background and what what you've been up to up until this point in your life? Sure.
1: Every now and then, I have a profound statement, which is about once every four or five years. Mm. I I was born in Oklahoma, but my dad was kind of a rolling stone, so we moved all over the place. So I I never did have a place that I really called home. I just didn't have a home because he left when I was very early, and so my mom raised three of us children, did a great job. She was just a saint. Right after high school, I joined the Air Force, and for the next seven and a half years, I served as a weather observer and then a weather forecaster. At about seven and a half years in, I made a commitment to Christ, uh, and obviously my life changed completely. Went through some struggles early on, and that's what I want to visit with you about today, those early struggles. But as time passed, I uh, got out of the Air Force, resigned from the Air Force, went ahead and got my schooling, did my bachelor's and my my master's and my doctorate, and continued on pastoring. Pastor for about 25 years. After that, I left the pastorate and joined an international church uh, consulting firm, consulted with churches all over the United States for another 23 or four years, finally retired from that and joined the faculty as an associate faculty member of Colorado Christian University and then taught for them 11 years and once again retired. So now in my retirement, I teach the adult Bible Sunday school class here at Whitefield's Community Church in Longmont and everybody's invited.
0: Yeah. And man, you have a, a very loyal and enthusiastic group and you just taught on a Sunday morning here at church and uh, I got so much good feedback and good. personally I enjoyed the message as well. So, thank you. Thank you. So, Roy, let's talk about some of those early days uh, as a young pastor. And, you know, I assume that most of our audience is probably, some are probably pastors, but many are not. And so just with an eye towards that, tell us some of that story of your early days as a pastor. Okay, thank you.
1: I can remember sitting in church. And again, you must understand, I've never been in church. Nobody in my family attended church. I'd never owned a Bible. I'd never read the Bible If you'd asked me to find Genesis, I had no clue even where it was. So I purchased myself a King James Bible, which I could barely read. No one told me how to read it. So I picked it up and I started Genesis 1-1 and plowed my way through that thing, Mm -hmm. took it to work with me back and forth and just was shattered because I didn't understand hardly any of it. After I had been... uh, in the church for about three months, I was invited to go to California on an evangelistic, quote, tour or help a church in California. So a bunch of us went out there and I told the pastor then, I said, you know, I can't sing, I don't know how to do a Bible study. I, I, I love to go, but I don't know what to do. He said, oh, you can preach. I said, well, that's interesting. I I don't know what to do. So he gave me, or I bought, a little book called Hobbes' Simple Sermons, which was about as much help as if I'd have bought a Tiddlywink set. Mm. But I went out there and we spent a week. It was a terribly embarrassing thing. Came back, and in a couple of more months, he resigned and took another church. But in the meantime, I was sitting in church one day listening to him to preach, and I said to myself. I could do that. I could do that. Because I'd always been before people. I'd been in a rock and roll band. I'd done lots of speaking. I could do that. I'd done a lot of speaking in the Air Force. And so that was my call to preach. I can do that. Mm. He left. But in the meantime, he had recommended me to a small country church way out in West Texas. I went out and met with them, probably 15 or 20 or 30 people And they called me as their pastor and paid me $25 a week. So I resigned from the Air Force and took that church and continued my education. But you must understand that I had no concept of what I did not know. I didn't know. I mean, you talk about blind leading the blind. They were gracious to me. They were kind to me. But the pain of not knowing, it would be like me saying to you, Pastor Nick, You've seen two or three programs uh, on television about brain surgery. And so next Tuesday, we have you mm-hmm. scheduled to do brain surgery. So, well, that's, that's completely out of bounds. N- no, there's no more danger in doing brain surgery than there is taking a group of people and their eternity under your wings and saying, I'm now going to give you directions. I was lost. Didn't know another pastor in town. My pastor had left, had given me no education at all, no mentorship. I didn't know how to baptize. When when I was ordained, he came back for that ordination. I felt like I had to be ordained in order to baptize someone. That's where my theology was at that point, or to have the Lord's Supper. So I knew I needed to be, I thought I needed to be ordained. They did not ask me one question, not one. I mean, seriously, if if they would have said to me, Roy, tell us your theology about John 3.16, I would have had to say, give me a Bible, let me read it, and then I'll try to explain something to you. I just didn't know. And so the pressure on me became more than a human being could bear. The only thing I knew to do was to become that person to wear the mask to become like what I thought you had a concept of a pastor might be. I dressed that way. I changed my voice, my inflection. I quieted myself down to so I could speak wholly to people. I just didn't know. The pressure became so great that when I would go on vacation, The farther I got away from West Texas, I could feel the load just come off my shoulders. I mean, I could breathe. And the moment I stopped and started back to that church, I felt the pressures like crushing a tin can. It was a terrible, terrible experience. I started contacting pastors, just picked up the telephone directory, and I'd call a pastor and say, hey, you know, I'm new at this, can you help me? Not one said yes. Not one said, I will be happy to help you. The first funeral service that I was involved in with another pastor, I was sitting in there on the platform and we were waiting for everything. I had no idea what was going to happen. I leaned over to him and I said, you know, this is the first funeral service I've ever been in. And he's laughed and he said, oh, I wish I'd have known that. I'd have fixed you. That was my total indoctrination. I want to tell you, Pastor Nick, it was tough. And it took years, years for me to get beyond that. It was almost like I had to take care of myself because nobody else would. Wow.
0: Well, yeah, no, that's, that's hard. I know that um, I've talked to a lot of pastors who are in the same boat. In a way, I was too, you know, 21 years old But I think I was in a very different community. I was in a very supportive community where I did have people. Uh, I wasn't necessarily taught things as much as it was like, okay, go do this. And if you have a question, let me know. But at least they were there to catch me and help me answer some of those questions. Uh, I'm not sure that that's the best way. It certainly keeps you dependent on God, but lots of things can keep you dependent on God. like. Driving with no gas in your car can keep you praying. It doesn't mean that that's a good thing to do, right. right? Exactly. Yeah, so so tell us a little bit more, and, and tell us, um, you know, where did it go from there?
1: Well, I moved from one church to another, from one church to another, from one church to another. But my concept of the pastorate at that point was— you got to get in the biggest church that you want to get in. You want people to know your name. You want to put your name out there. And so I began to climb the ladder. Mm. Now, how do you do that? This was in Baptist churches. Well, you do that through baptisms. And you always wanted to get in the publication that said Joe Blow had just baptized 100 people in this year. And I mean that was my goal. So my evangelism was not motivated I I mean somewhat it was motivated by you want to lead people to Christ. But the real motivation was I wanted to know wanted people to know who I was. I wanted to make my mark. I wanted to climb the ladder. I can remember pastoring a small church uh, probably had 300 people in it or something like that. But there was another church, I won't even tell you where this was, was another First Baptist Church in a much larger city where the pastor had resigned and I was just positive that God wanted me to go pastor that big, big church. Obviously, he didn't want it and I didn't go and thank the Lord. When I look back, I thought, you know, I'd probably better jumping off the church rather than trying to pastor the church. But the difficulty that grew within me became anger. I was angry. Not I've never been angry with God. I didn't think he had anything to do with my stupidity. But I was angry with the church. I was angry with my former pastor. I was angry with the other pastors that I soon began to know because I was drowning you know, I, I say, you know, I'm dry, I'm dying here. Someone help me. That former pastor asked me to come and preach in a youth meeting in his large church at that time, which I did. And after a couple of evening sessions that were just disastrous, he pulled me off to side and he said, "Roy, you need to go to seminary because you can't preach." End of story. It just destroyed me. But, on the other hand, it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me at that point because I was determined to go back and study on my own and read and try to educate myself, which I did. Now, when I look back now, I think those early years for me seemed so wasted. I mean, if I had known you Pastor Nick, and could have somebody, you know, you, with your, your present experience, said, could have come to you and said, You know, I'm drowning out here. I want to do right. I don't know what right is. I want to study. I don't know how to study. How do you do this? Just to have a mentor that I could have gone to and say, I have this sin in my life that's eating me alive. I don't know what to do with it. What should I do? As I told you, I was as a lost person in the Air Force, and so you can imagine I was overseas by myself. I mean, you just can imagine. I lived every kind of a life that uh, could be lived. And I was smoking. I mean, I smoked pell-mell, and I loved to have a cup of coffee and a pell-mell like you cannot imagine. So after I surrendered to preach, I was still smoking. What do you do if you're going to be a preacher and smoke? How do you get rid of it? No one would help me. No one would pray with me. I mean, I was i felt— So guilty all the time. I actually went to a psychologist who performed uh, uh, hypnosis and said to him, I'm a pastor. I smoke. I've got to get rid of this. Please help me. And he looked at me. I'll never forget he looked at me. He said, you know, that you're struggling against sin. You're struggling against your own flesh and blood. So you just need to give this thing to Jesus. And that was the end of the session. (laughs) Wow. <laughs> I thought, you turkey, I came here for help and you're telling me, go deal with it. That's the kind of struggle
0: that I had. Let me ask you a question real quick. Is Do you think there's something unique about pastoring or being in Christian ministry as opposed to other careers? Like you said, you had a few other careers that you were involved in, a few other jobs. You know, I've, I've gone back and forth on my thinking about this. I wonder, do you think there's something unique about this as opposed to like somebody who works in finance or somebody who works in, uh, you know, engineering or something like that? Do you think that there's a unique pressure to being in Christian ministry and pastoring?
1: I think there's a couple of things there. One is um, if you're going to be an accountant, you can't just walk in off the street with your $75 Computer and say, "I've never done this before, but I'll be your accountant." And they would say, "Right there's the door." Goodbye. But in some denominations, in some areas of ministry, they say to you, "If God called you to preach, go preach, brother." I had a a, a brother-in-law at one time who was also in the pastorate, and his father, who was a pastor, taught him. The only book you should ever pick up is the Bible. Never read anything else because it will pollute you. And so there's some thinking in some circles, if God called you to preach, go preach. Now, I don't want to sound crass here, but that's stupidity. I mean, you go ask the apostle Paul, did you study before God called you to all of this? You know, and I know he's unique, and he's not like the other apostles. I understand that. But neither are we. I think maybe, and I'll put this in quotation marks, because maybe the Presbyterians have it right. You know, if you're going to be a preacher, you've got to get an education. And after you're educated, then we'll put you in a place as an associate. But you can never become the pastor of that church. You'll have to go someplace else once you know what you're doing. I think there must be a training process somehow. So, though the individual who says, I'm going to preach, has a responsibility, I didn't know what that responsibility was. Poor stupid me. But the church out of which that person comes also has a responsibility, and that person's pastor has a responsibility. There is a huge responsibility within the body of Christ to protect other churches from that individual and to protect that person from himself, from the foolishness. You know, do not ordain a novice because he might fall into what? The condemnation of the devil. So when you throw somebody out there like me, it's like throwing me out on a ice-covered pond and saying, I hope there's enough ice out there. They don't fall through. I mean, I fell through every crack that you could
0: fall through. Mm. Yeah. I mean, there is this passage, right? And I know it's been very popular in a lot of circles that I've been in as well, which is in Acts chapter four, where it says that they looked at the early apostles, early Christians, and they said, these are untrained and unlearned men, but they've obviously been with Jesus. Now, some people take that as like a badge of honor to be untrained and unlearned. And, um, I have a few thoughts on it. One is I, first of all, I don't think they stayed untrained and unlearned. Uh, you know, Paul says to Timothy study to show yourself approved. Some a workman who can rightly divide the word of God. In other words, don't, uh, glory in being untrained and unlearned. Um, on the other hand, what did that even mean, untrained and unlearned? I mean, obviously it meant that they didn't have a formal education in the way that they were blue-collar as opposed to white-collar in that society. And so I don't think that we should build a theology that's anti, um, anti-preparation, anti— I don't even want to say anti-intellectual because it's not about being intellectual. It's just about like um, studying and understanding what you're doing. Personally, I think that's something that we should never stop doing. Like, uh, you know, it's not like, okay, once you, let's say you go and get a master's degree or, or beyond that you can just tick that box and say, okay, I've learned all the stuff. Now I don't need to continue to grow, you know? So um, any thoughts on that? Well,
1: <clears throat> a couple, they, they, it is true. Uh, they took note of them that they were unlearned, uneducated people, but they were also apostles, And we don't have any apostles walking around today. And if you want to throw that up as a standard, then let's measure that against the Apostle Paul as far as being untrained and uneducated because he was obviously
0: brilliant beyond belief. Well, and he was actually maybe the only one who was formally educated. Absolutely. So you can't throw that up as a standard.
1: And also, God... Uh, inspired them and equipped them in ways that he has not inspired or equipped me. He just, I mean, I wouldn't compare myself to any of them. They had a unique position to fill. And as a pastor today, we have a unique position to fill. I, I can remember talking to another pastor, and I don't know why the subject came up, but it's like you were saying, he related to me his story and was almost identical to my story, almost identical. And I remember him saying, "The farther I got away from the church, the more my life began to be lived, and the closer I got to it, the worse it became." And he became an alcoholic, as the whole, as in the end, he just couldn't, he couldn't handle it. So. You know, God uses every situation in which we find ourselves. And, and I've looked back and I said, I've said, said to ask myself a thousand times, I wonder why it unfolded like that. There had to be a reason for that. Why I didn't leave, I don't know. Thought about it. I mean, I thought 10,000 times. I thought about going in the mountains and opening up a, a bait shop and selling fishing tackle. I mean, I thought about doing everything, but I just could not escape mm. But I think as a pastor, you have a unique responsibility. So when somebody comes to you and says, Pastor Nick, you know what? I have this feeling that maybe God's calling me into full-time ministry. And that point, you have a huge
0: responsibility. Yeah. And I want to talk about that. So who has responsibility and like what should they do? Just two things I want to interject real fast. I just read this morning some st- uh, statistics from Barna Research Group um, that were done in 2021. So they did a research Brand study in, in January, 2021, on the state of pastors and how they were feeling. And uh, a very large amount of people left the ministry during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. It was a big, you know, may, it was one of those things that made people like rethink things. right? And so I personally know many people here in our city who um, who left vocational ministry altogether, went into completely different fields. And, uh, or maybe they moved across the country and things like that. So there's a lot of shifting going on during that time. But they said January, 2021, they did a poll of pastors and they found that it was something like 20 something percent said that they were considering leaving ministry altogether. Then they did the poll at the end of the year in like December of 2021. And they just released the numbers and it was, it was like 38%. Mm. It was like getting close to half. And that's a lot. The other thought I have on this is, um, you know, the group of churches that I, I've been involved in, Calvary Chapel, right. they actually, and I, I've often thought that maybe this is one of the strengths, but I think it I think it has to be paired with something. So the strength is that Calvary Chapel has been very good at empowering people. So I, as a 21-year-old kid, you know, um, was like, I feel like God's calling me there's there's needs and there's opportunities and I feel like God's calling me to go and they were very supportive and I think that that was actually a very good thing that they believed in the work of God and the work of the Holy Spirit even through uh somebody like me they believe that God uses the foolish things of this world to shame the wise and and so they they were supportive and they did provide a safety net right and a community for me to go to and talk to. And that was a good thing. But um, I think in this, you know, we, we want to maintain this idea of encouraging those who get into ministry, right? Someone who desires to be an overseer desires a good thing. And um, you know, those who teach the word of God are worthy of double honor. These are things that the new Testament says. And so how do we, on the one hand, encourage those who feel a call into ministry without kind of squashing them and saying, you know, go to school and let us know if you're still a Christian when you come out uh, uh, versus (laughs) like just sending somebody out like a sheep among wolves with no, uh, no help whatsoever. So where is that balance between those two things? I think a couple
1: of things. First of all, you send a sheep out among wolves. The wolves are going to win. End of story. (laughs) They're going to eat that sheep alive all of us have been, in this room have been in the military, and we all understand OJT. And that's just on-the-job training. I, I believe strongly in what the Calvary churches are doing. But it doesn't mean that you're going out on your own as the one sheep against a pack of wolves. Because we, we can minister and be trained at the same time. I would have loved that. Let me let me show you, Roy. A couple of things that you can do. Here's a here's a great book you can read. Here's a method that you can try, and so you're you're actually doing OJT while you're on the job. You're being trained and counseled and mentor, mentored and prayed for, and weep I'll come weep with you. You know when people are after you and they would they would attack me about this or that or you. You know, how do I deal with that? How do I deal with this opposition? So I I don't think those things are exclusive, one for the other, that I'm going to go out there and preach all by myself. I'm going to send you to Africa. I had a good friend one time who a mission group sent him to the Aleutians, Mm. Aleutian Islands, and he was a little bit like me. He said, they gave me a plane ticket. I flew in there and they said, we really hope you'll just lead a lot of people to Jesus. They got on the airplane and left. And he said to me, quote, had it not been for the natives showing me how to kill ducks that first year, I would have starved to death. Now that's not on the job training. That is have a good time.
0: We're gone. Be warm and well fed. That's right. So (laughs) so,
1: right. So there is a balance there someplace. I mean, I would have loved it to come up for have Pastor Nick come alongside of me when at this point in your life, when I was drowning
0: and saying, "Hey Roy, let me help you. Let me help you." Yeah. So um, let's let's draw this all together. So you said some people have responsibility. So there's a responsibility of the person who feels called. Right. There's a the responsibility of those who send them or support them. is a responsibility on the church's part. Tell me a little bit about that.
1: Well, I, I think you have started a ministry recently or not long ago. Yeah. So a person comes and he says, I think God had called me to preach. You don't just pat that person on the head and say, well, I think that's just the sweetest thing I ever heard in my life. You know, God bless you. Let's find a place for you to go preach. There's a responsibility. Um, we're in a family. Your daughter comes home and says, "Dad, I think that after high school, I want or during high school, I want to train to be a guitar player or whatever it might be." We don't just say to them, "We'll buy you a guitar and train yourself." Let us get you some help. Let us get you some support. I think the church, the men of the church surrounding a man, can be so helpful to him, you have business people in the church, you've got psychologists in the church, you have people who've been in ministry in the church, you've got retired pastors in the church, you've got all of these people that could become a platform around which that person could be encouraged, could be helped, could be rebuked, could be corrected. I mean, it's not that I didn't do everything wrong, but I did a lot of stuff that wasn't right. But I didn't know that. And so the people that you're pouring that on, I mean, you talk about a huge responsibility. I, I can't make a mistake. I can't do that. How can you make a mistake before these people? this We're talking about eternity here. So I think the church as a body, as the family, has a responsibility to that person, as you have to your own children, to give them wise counsel, to love them,
0: to help them, to pick them up, dust them off, to train them mm. so you're, you're saying like the local congregation can actually view this as they have a responsibility to their pastor right because you know the famous saying that it's lonely on the top and essentially if i'm understanding you correctly you're saying it doesn't need to be that way and actually maybe it shouldn't be that way in the body of christ
1: absolutely i mean if i have a, a wife and 10 children My responsibility to those children is strong. If they come to me crying on my shoulder, I don't say, well, grow up and get out there and deal with it. So, too, the local body has a responsibility. Now, on the other side, for the person who thinks he's being called, that person must agree to that care by the local church. And I'd, it wouldn't matter to me if the person said, okay, I, I've taken the pastor of this local church out here. They've got 25 people. I think that the his home church, out of which he came, still has a responsibility, and he must avail himself of
0: that help that's available. I mean, if you want to be a Lone Ranger, get out there, you know? You said something to me before we started recording, which is where you said that, one of the things that happened as you were you know trying to embody what you assumed that people expected a pastor to be, one of the things you said is that the downside of that is that you could never be wrong and you could never be vulnerable right Tell me a bit about that
1: well and, and I was really thinking about preaching more than anything else, mm-hmm. but when i you know uh, wasn't it Spurgeon who said to his young pastor group that he was training save your old sermons so that you may reap, weep over them. Right. Be sure to save those early sermons. Because when you look back about a year or two ago, I picked up 850 of my previous sermons and pitched them. Mm. Wow. I mean, I, you know, I go back and look at those. I would go and, and, and speak for 45 minutes on, from a three by five card I could go up and and pick out John 3.16 and preach a a strong sermon on tithing. I mean, there was no correlation. So in my mind, if I was going to speak, it had to be ex cathedra. I mean, I had—let me ask you, Pastor Nick, just between you and me, and nobody's listening on this (laughs) podcast— How many of those sermons would you like to go back? I mean, I spoke for you a couple of weeks ago, and there's a couple of things I said in there that I think, oh, my goodness. Oh, I'd like to go and alter them. Bleep those out if you could. But you just do. Oh, yeah. You you just do. And so I was teaching my Sunday school class uh, last Sunday, and there's a city called Dalmanutha. It's only mentioned one time in the Bible. Nobody knows where it is. And as I I was reading the scripture out of Mark, I got to Dalmanutha, and I said, Dalmanutha, just a second, Daltoothma, no, hang on a minute. And I took about four or five runs at it, and I don't think I ever did pronounce it correctly. (laughs) But we do that with our theology, too, if we're not careful.
0: Oh yeah, I mean, you know, I, I hear myself on the radio sometimes. If I'm in the car during that time, I'll say, "Okay, what yeah. what sermon's on today?" And sometimes my sermons from a couple of years ago, I listen to them and I kind of cringe. And sometimes I'm like, I've actually had to go back and say, um, not really with theological things as much as like examples I've used and things right. like that, where I realize, okay, actually that wasn't good. We're gonna have to remove that. Uh, you know, even like uh, some of my. Illustrations. I've said things about uh, certain animals that I later came back and found out okay that wasn't true. Even if I read it somewhere, uh, so yeah, no, yeah, for sure. Uh, I get that thing about what Spurgeon's saying. You go back and you you kind of cringe over your old sermons. And, weep over them. Yeah, weep over them. Yeah. So okay, so there's a responsibility of the person who feels called. There's also a responsibility of the local congregation. There's also a responsibility of the community of pastors or the sending church, others who come alongside and help them. And, um, you know, you had mentioned that we had some initiatives that we've come up with as Calvary. I've been involved in the leadership of two specific initiatives, but they're geared around these. And what's funny is that what's behind a lot of them is guys who now have been in ministry for a little bit, and they look back and say, I could have really used some help with this. Right, I kind of like found my way along the way, but I bumped into the wall a lot and I probably did some things wrong on the way, but now I found my way. Maybe I can help some other guys so they don't have to have the the painful experience I did, as as you're describing, just an absolutely painful experience. Uh, So one of them is called the Expositors Collective and that's a a training, a two-day training event as well as a separate podcast that is all about helping young and aspiring preachers to kind of find their way. How do I make an outline? What, how, what are the resources I use? Can I get mentorship? That's a big part of what we do is mm-hmm. kind of like, if you want, we'll team you up with somebody who will listen to your messages, read your manuscripts and say, Hey, uh, do this a little bit differently. Or if you need help with a particular passage, I know I've done this. I'm like, this is a difficult passage. I'm going to call somebody on the phone and discuss this. So we provide resources like that as well as our two day training weekends. Uh, Our next one, which I believe this will come out before our next one. So our next one is in Orange County, California, February 18th and 19th of 2022. And uh, But we have ongoing ones, so if anybody's interested in checking out when the next events will be and where they will be, uh, you can find that at expositorscollective.com. But the other thing I've been involved in, is, um, right as I was finishing my master's in 2020, I got a call from some friends of mine over at Calvary Chapel, and they were just saying, hey, we would like to develop a program to help train uh, assess, first of all, assess, then train and potentially deploy new church planters and missionaries. So could you help us with that? And I said, okay, I'll finish my master's then I'll work on it. And that, that actually is what I did for the, for another year after I finished my master's. And we came up with this plan called cultivate. And it's a, it's a program. We actually have had about a dozen people go through it on the pilot program type Mm -hmm. thing. So it's, it's the beta, if you will. We're, and um, and we're rolling out the full version very soon uh, this year. The whole thing with this program is exactly that. Like, let's assess you who feel called. Let's get some people around you who can speak into your life. And let's get you trained in those areas where you're deficient. And um, let's help you so that not only do you succeed and not want to run away from your church in order to feel happy, but let's also help those people in your church to not have to suffer with you through those years. Sure, You know,
1: one thing I I left out and I meant to say, first of all, I would urge any pastor, any pastor at any level to get involved in what you're talking about, Mm. because we we've all been there the responsibility of the person who thinks they have been called that that responsibility is that person must within themselves agree to be teachable yeah because in my arrogance after i got things pretty well figured out if you had come to me and said we really want to help you with your preaching mm. my first ego response would have been you know i think i i, I think i've got this deal figured out finally yeah. Took me twenty five years, but I about got got it figured out. But honestly, Nick, now I've been doing this for fifty years plus, almost sixty years. I've learned more in the last ten years than all those years previously. Seriously. Wow. Wow. So the person who says I think God called me to do whatever must be pliable and they must be teachable. And they must come to a point where they're willing to listen mm-hmm. and to be taught. So there's the full gambit of mm-hmm. responsibility.
0: yeah, that's really good. Have you ever heard of the dunning Kruger effect? No. Okay, so the dunning- Kruger effect, and it's, it's interesting if you look it up if you look it up online, there's a, a lot of information on it. but it's basically this concept that's been observed that people who are uh, less capable tend to be more confident hmm. about their capability. Meaning, like you said earlier, you don't know what you don't know. Right. You don't realize even when you're incapable. And then on the other hand, what happens is that people who are more capable tend to be more humble. And they tend to, at that point, they realize how much they don't know once they've learned a few things. I think that that's what part of what happens as you get some experience and as you get some education and as you get a little bit older, um, you know, and and there has to be a way to harness that hubris, if you will, of, of it, which you spoke of earlier, where you look at the preacher and you say, I can do that. There's a sense in which, um, how do we harness that and say you can, and let's get you on this track. Um, you know, so that we don't want you to lose your faith. We want you to grow into this. We want you to succeed in ministry, so that other people can grow as well, right? Like, man, just that that idea of that other pastor saying, "If I would have known it was your first time, I would have fixed you." Almost like that hurts me to hear that. That right. somebody would not want you would almost want to embarrass you or yeah. drag you through the mud. And that's what he was saying. I would have. I would have. I'd laid a trap for you. Wow. Yeah, well, that is not. (laughs) I don't think that that's the kingdom mentality. But yeah, so I think this is really good. You know, so that's the idea. If you let's say somebody's listening to this, if they feel called to preach and teach, we would say you you desire a good thing, and you're not in this alone. And so there's some responsibilities on all sides. And I think that if we do this well, you know, we can see. People grow in the knowledge of the Lord, the kingdom advance, and that would be really good. So Roy, in just wrapping this up, would you do us the honor of praying for those, first of all, who are called into ministry, maybe those who are struggling in ministry, and for churches as well to come alongside and support?
1: Let me ask you to do this, Pastor Nick. Before I do that, would you again tell the listeners what, what you have in place and what, where they can get that help If they'll just contact you.
0: Yeah. So two programs that we're involved in, the one is called Expositors Collective, and that is again, a podcast and training events. We're also planning to do video series and things like that, that is specifically geared towards people who want to become better preachers and teachers of God's word. And that applies to pastors, people in lay ministry, people teaching children Sunday school groups, anybody who wants to grow, we want to give you the tools and resources to do that. Go to expositorscollective.com for more info there. And there's ways to contact us there on that website. The other thing that I'm involved in is through Calvary Global Network, and it is called Cultivate. And it is a program for training, assessing and training new church planters and missionaries. And so if you feel called the pastor, Um, we would like to come alongside you, give you some resources, give you an assessment, help you to really maybe know what you don't know, and then come alongside with some resources to help you grow as well as some mentoring relationships. So you can find more information about that at calvaryglobalnetwork.com.
1: You started that exactly 60 years too late. (laughs) Father, thank you for the joys of ministry, for the heartaches that come, and for the growth that we experience And Lord, I would pray right now for every young pastor, every old pastor, every person in ministry who might be struggling, who just want to expand, who may be drowning in their marriage, in their ministry, in their own personal life. I pray, Lord, that they would hear what we've said today, that they would avail themselves of the resources that are so abundant today about them I pray for their families. I pray for their churches, their places of ministry. Thank you so much for the love that you've given us, for the understanding that you provide to us, and for the hope that is buried within us in Christ Jesus. Because we pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Thank you again, Roy, for
0: being on the program. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed that discussion. If you haven't done so yet, please subscribe to the podcast and whatever app or platform you listen on. Also, it would really help us. If you want to support the podcast, you can do so by giving us a rating or review on whatever podcast app or platform you listen on. Share this with other people on social media. That helps uh, kind of not just boost our numbers, but it helps get the word out to more and more people about this content. If you found it helpful, please share it with somebody. God bless you. I'll see you again next week.